This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, everyone. Mike Adams sitting in again today for the vacationing Mike Pearson. Either I didn't mess things up too bad yesterday or they just don't have anybody else to do the show this week. Either way, I'm here and we'll be for the rest of the week while Mike's on vacation. We have a busy show today. We're going to talk with Ethan Lane with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Want to get his thoughts on uh, the spending bill and uh, what is in it or not in it for the beef industry. What do they like and not like about it? We're going to talk meat exports with Dan Hallstrom of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. And we're going to focus uh, primarily on Japan and great trading relationship we have with Japan. And what's the latest there as they come out of COVID and how's that impacting things? And we're going to talk sunflowers today with the executive director of the National Sunflower Association, John Sandbachen, will be joining us a little bit later on in the program. Busy time of year right here before harvest. We have some state fairs going on, farm shows, crop tours, all kinds of things going on. Speaking of farm shows, our own Jesse Allen from the American Ag Network is in Mitchell, South Dakota. It's the opening day of Dakota Fest. Jesse, how are things going there? Well, things are fantastic, Mike, and it is uh, great to hear your voice again here on uh, AOA. It's a pleasure to talk with you this morning. I hope you're doing well also. Doing well. So you tell me it's a little foggy in Mitchell today? A little foggy in Mitchell. I think some of that is uh, from the uh, maybe some humidity in the air, but also from rainfall. Some much-needed rain in this part of the uh, country here yesterday. You know, some areas along the South Dakota-Nebraska border getting anywhere from one to maybe even four inches in some localized spots uh, with that storm system that's kind of working its way down into Missouri. So a little bit of a foggy start today, but a good start to uh, day number one here at Dakota Fest. Already seeing some producers out here on the grounds. Uh, show just starting at nine o'clock this morning and a lot to take in here over the next three days. Yeah, I would think the rain would uh, lift a lot of moods, right? People feeling a lot better about things to finally get some rain. Yeah, I think so as well. Talking to a few producers here in the region, you know, it's it's the case of the haves and the have-nots, right? And we've been hearing about it this entire growing season when it comes to rainfall and crop conditions. And, you know, we've seen some of the uh, corn conditions start to fall here in some of the western corn belt states. Soybeans, though. You know, we think about August, this is typically the time when soybeans are made. So a rainfall like we saw yesterday, maybe lifting the moods there for, for folks with some soybeans that were late planted and uh, corn, you know, maybe could save a little bit on the corn crop in some areas. But there are some areas that are, are pretty dry and it's going to be interesting to see uh, just how things finish out. We got some upcoming crop tours, et cetera. So it's going to be interesting to see how things look here as we get into uh, September and October for fall harvest, Mike get a little whiplash trying to figure out the markets and the market reaction to everything that's going on well you know and that's the battle and i've talked to a lot of different uh analysts and economists and i know uh you have as well uh you know i heard you talking to uh matt bennett yesterday and i mean it's uh it's kind of interesting just watching the battle between the weather market which we typically see here the summer months versus 
the inflation trade in the markets versus the the algos and the computer trading and you know you look at the markets so far here this morning still a little bit of pressure there from better rains even though national Crop conditions dropped a point each for quartered soybeans here on yesterday afternoon's crop progress report. But, you know, the trade seeing, oh, rains in western Iowa and into Missouri helping things out there. So we're kind of kind of risk off in the grains and oil seeds again here today, a little follow through selling. But you're exactly right. Volatility whiplash uh, in the markets is uh, it's really uh, it's just been the name of the game here this year. And, you know, speaking of the markets, one of the great uh events coming up during the education sessions here at Dakota Fest. This will be tomorrow. I'll actually be hosting a uh, market uh, market panel with Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing and Mike Miner from Professional Ag Marketing at 1 o'clock in the Reeves Education Center. We're going to talk about the volatility in the markets. So that's going to be, uh, I'm sure, a very interesting discussion with those guys. And always, uh, it's a guessing game. You get to this time of year, year when trying to figure out what the crop's going to be and and it is guessing even when you're out there on on crop tours you're still estimating and you never know until the the combines are rolling and the and the wagons are unloaded so we'll we'll and the trucks are unloaded so we'll see what happens uh, soon we're going to be to that point but there at Dakota Fest you mentioned one of the things you're going to be involved in but it sounds like a busy 3 days coming up there are a lot of things coming up here at Dakota Fest the next couple of days. I know this morning here at 1030, they're going to have a carbon pipeline forum, which, uh, you know, we think about carbon markets, carbon credits. That has uh, been a huge topic in agriculture the last year and a half, two years or so. And, and they're going to have some different experts talking about that in the uh, Reeves uh, Education Center, which is if you're coming to Dakota Fest by chance, it's in the northwest corner. They're also going to have a Ag Innovation Forum today at noon. And, and they also they have a lot of activities going on in the livestock tent here throughout the uh, next three days, different livestock shoot demonstrations, et cetera. Uh, the folks from SDSU, they have a lot of uh, their experts here, a lot of nice things going on. They also have a networking lounge this year. So if you're looking to uh, maybe put your feet up for a little bit, they're going to have live music there and some different refreshments. So uh, a lot of things, a lot of education sessions. I know dakotafest.com is a great place to uh, check out all the uh, information on all the different events, but that's just kind of a snapshot of just day number one here, Mike, and a lot more coming up Wednesday and Thursday as well. They're going to have the um, Coming up with the Farm Bill Forum tomorrow, the South Dakota Congressional Delegates are going to be here, and they're also going to have the uh, Women and Ag Forum as well coming up here this week. So uh, a lot of exciting things on the horizon. They didn't book you to perform there? They did not. Uh, I, I, you know, I did not put in my, uh, I didn't put in my name, I guess. I figured I was going to be too busy uh, talking to agriculture and, and markets and everything else, so I didn't want to, I didn't want to overfill my plate, Mike. <laughs> well, we're going to, we'll talk again tomorrow. Uh, I'll be anxious to see just what the, the mood of farmers in that part of the country is uh, here as we are in late summer headed into harvest. And with all the things going on and a farm bill, you know, you're going to have the farm bill discussions, what they want to see in that and, and what's going on in Washington right now. It'll be interesting to see what the mood is. It will be, and I'm looking forward to catching up with uh, more producers here throughout the day today, engaging some more of their uh, their mood and their concerns and things they're happy about uh, the next uh, next three days, but especially the rest of today. I always like to get that day one mood here uh, at a farm show, and Dakota Fest is no different, so looking forward to it, Mike. So the forecast is good for the three days? 
forecast is good. That was one thing I was excited about, too. Outside of the fog this morning, it sounds like uh, mid to upper 70s and not a lot of wind and the rain that did come through, not looking for much rain uh, here the next three days. So outside of the, again, a foggy start this morning, it's looking like a great day here at Dakota Fest and looking forward to talking with people. All right. And we'll talk with you again tomorrow and get another update. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. We'll talk uh, to you tomorrow. All right. Jesse Allen, the American Ag Network at Dakota Fest in Mitchell, South Dakota, this opening day, and we'll check back in with him tomorrow. All right, coming up, we're going to talk meat exports with Dan Hallstrom with the U.S. Meat Export Federation. We're going to talk sunflowers with John Sandbachen with the National Sunflower Association. Up next, we're going to talk with Ethan Lane with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. We'll talk uh, policy, spending bills, and uh, just get his thoughts on some of these things. That's coming up next. Stay with us. This is AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Are you headed to the Farm Progress Show in Boone, Iowa this year? If so, stop by the Trelleborg Wheel Systems booth to see all the latest in tires. Also, Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live all three days there from the Trelleborg Wheel Systems booth. That's booth 928. Stop by to watch the show at 9 a.m. And that's in Trelleborg booth 928. We'll see you in Boone at the Farm Progress Show. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. 
If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. And I'm Mike Adams filling in this week for the vacationing Mike Pearson. We were hoping to be talking with Ethan Lane with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, but he has not been able to join us just yet, so hopefully he will be able to. But in the meantime, still with us from Dakota Fest in uh, Mitchell, South Dakota, is Jesse Allen. You know, Jesse, I remember that happened to me a few times when the guests couldn't uh, couldn't make it or... <laughs> you know, maybe you forgot to call, you know, so uh, glad that you're you're still there and uh, we can talk a little bit. You, of course, cover the markets uh, closely for the American Ag Network with your market show. We were talking about it earlier, the uh, the volatility of these markets and certainly world events have really played a big part in all this, too. And uh, uh, what's the situation with Ukraine and how how hard it is to get grain out of there? It's just really impacted the whole supply and the balance of everything around the world, hasn't it? It has, Mike. And, you know, I think about uh, the issues with Ukraine and Russia. And, you know, we saw obviously that big war premium come back into the markets uh, right away when things happened earlier this year. You know, since then, with all the volatility, we've seen a lot of that war premium come out as we've started some shipments from Ukraine. But still, I mean, that situation, you alluded to it, it's still hard to get the grain out of there. And that is a big concern. And you throw on top of it now the issues with the U.S. and China over Taiwan. And then yesterday, news about China's economy, maybe some weak uh, weakening of their economy and some worry about demand with the Chinese. Um, you know, that all kind of combined together. Also, China yesterday announcing that uh, they were going to be suspending agricultural imports from Australia and New Zealand. So uh, things like that, a lot of these geopolitical issues, Mike, are really a concern uh, in the markets and just, again, lend to our volatility. And, you know, for the average uh, the average producer who is looking at the markets and trying to figure things out and they maybe don't have a, a broker or someone on their team it can be a it can be a challenge when you're fighting against the uh, the computer algorithms Arlen Suderman talks about that a lot just how we can see you know 20 30 40 cent swings in these markets in a matter of minutes now um, it's it just makes that volatility so much worse a, across the commodity markets here Mike yeah, and we'll have Arlen on with us tomorrow. The other challenge, and this happens year in, year out for producers, um, how do you market when you're not quite sure how much crop you even have out there? That's another issue. And I alluded to that earlier uh, in segment one with, uh, you know, the corn crop in some parts of the Western Belt that might not be able to really be saved even with this late rain just because, you know, we went through pollination, pod fill time and soybeans is right now. But on the corn crop, you know, we went through pollination and, and grain fill. And, you know, I've seen pictures across social media of 
corn cobs that have barely anything on them, Mike. Uh, and so, you know, that's a challenge for a lot of producers. And some of them, you know, maybe they started out the year really good and maybe overextended themselves a little bit in the uh, in the markets and maybe forward sold a little too much. So then they got to find their different ways to get out of those contracts. And it just makes for a stressful time. So I always, I always go back to the thought of, no matter what you do, make sure you have a risk management plan in place with your marketing. Always make sure you have something in place for your operation and then stick to it and don't try to just change it on the fly. Always make sure you kind of have that risk management in place. And that's, you know, I hear that time and time again from the guys and gals I talk to on the, on the American Ag Network and on Market Talk on my, uh, my program in the afternoons. And it's just, you know it's so important to make sure you have a plan in place. You can update it, but always don't just update it on the fly. You know, make sure you put some thought into it. Talking with Jesse Allen with the American Ag Network. And Jesse is in Mitchell, South Dakota for the opening day of Dakota Fest. We're talking markets here on this segment. And you talk with a lot of market analysts. I know Jesse and uh, everyone trying to get a handle on, on the crop size and, and what that means moving forward and the USDA numbers last week. Uh, I don't know if that cleared things up or made things even more confusing. I think it's uh, I think it's more of a wait and see and kick the can down the road. I maybe and maybe a little more confusing. You know, the thing that uh, some folks uh, maybe lost sight of, we got to remember USDA wasn't boots on the ground for the August report. That's something that's you know been a little different the last few years. It was more just farmer surveys, digital yield data, et cetera. So USDA raising the national soybean yield slightly, lowering corn, that was expected. One has to wonder what that September WASDE report is going to look like uh, coming up here next month. I think we could see some changes there, especially with another month of weather. And if we continue to see favorable-ish weather, we'll call it right now, you know, with cooler temps and maybe some rains, what could that do for soybeans? Will that yield come to fruition? You know, plus we got all the different private crop tours coming up as well. So I it's going to be an interesting report, I think, in September. I think this August report, outside of a couple minor surprises, kind of just kicked the can down the road a little bit. And I know you're going to have to go to one more thing, and I want to talk about this with Arlen Suderman tomorrow. Are we starting to see outside money coming back into the ag markets or not? It feels like we've seen a little bit, but again, that's part of the volatility. You know, I think we've seen some of that outside money in the last two days here come out of the market you know crude oil yesterday fell to six month lows it's fairly stable this morning up about 30 cents right now but you know you watch that crude oil market that's a big key indicator and it feels like some of that money flow it's it's back and forth here in these markets and the funds are trying to determine between food and fuel all right jesse enjoy dakota fest we'll talk tomorrow thanks for staying with us Sounds great. Thanks, Mike. All right. Jesse Allen with American Ag Network joining us now, I believe, is Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Ethan, good to talk with you again. Good to talk with you, Mike. It's nice to be back briefly on Adams on Agriculture. Uh, <laughs> we don't love uh, AOA, but it's great to be back on the old uh, Adams on Agriculture. Yeah, great to have you back. Let's talk. I want to get your thoughts on this spending bill. I 
I know they call it the Inflation Reduction Act, but when I hear from economists and even the CBO, it doesn't sound like there's much inflation reduction in it. So I'm just calling it a spending bill. And I know there's some things in there that uh, some segments of agriculture are, are happy about, uh, conservation, renewable fuels. Uh, but what about the beef industry? Is there anything in there that uh, will be helpful to the beef industry, you think? Look, it's, it's, you know, it's a difficult deal, right? Because it's nice to see plus ups to programs like Equip that our producers use and, and that work well, but doing it kind of in the middle of the night and shoving it into a reconciliation bill like this without proper oversight, without proper discussion, um, isn't the appropriate way to deal with these programs, particularly when we're just ramping up a farm bill process. And I think what's most dismaying about the way that they did this is some of the commentary we heard from Chairwoman Stabenow uh, after the bill passed uh, on the Senate side, essentially saying this is going to make the farm bill a lot easier. You know, the idea being, gosh, we're in a flat farm bill environment. There's not enough money to go around. Inflation is a problem, particularly for the nutrition title. Um, so we're going to clear some headroom by just dealing with some of this conservation stuff now. But, you know, anybody who's worked on a farm bill knows that this is a uh, a real delicate balance between the nutrition piece and the agriculture piece. And when you start taking some of that stuff off the table prematurely, uh, it, it really creates some problems, in, in my opinion, uh, in looking at, at how you move forward with a full farm bill. So I, I, as much as we, we like seeing additional money for good programs, boy, we, we, we're not real pleased with the way this process played out or, or the, the manner in which they went about it. And, and as far as the farm bill is concerned, I think to your point, if you start taking some of those things off the table, don't you lose some of your leverage and getting other things that you want in the farm bill? Well, you, you absolutely do. And, you know, people forget that, that you know, we're looking at a, a pretty major change in tone, at least in the House of Representatives, moving into next year. You know, think back to 2010 with the Tea Party wave. Potentially, we're looking at those kinds of numbers, which means, you know, 55 or 60 brand new newly minted Republican congressmen and women who are budget hawks going into this process. That's, that's, a, that's a dramatic shift from the money party we've seen on both sides of the aisle uh, in the last two or three years, particularly since the beginning of COVID. It's going to be whiplash for people who have gotten used to just throwing money at problems. And, you know, I think those of us looking at this farm bill have, have you know, worn out a couple pencil sharpeners already trying to figure out how you make all this work. So while I, I understand strategically what they're trying to do, um, boy, it really does. It really does put, I think, some of those some of those balances in jeopardy uh, looking at this bill moving forward. Remember the days when they used to say uh, we're going to wait for the CBO scoring to be, before we decide what we're going to do with the with this piece of legislation. I guess they don't wait for those things anymore or don't pay any attention to it. Well, they did. They, they Not only did they get a CBO score, they got a revised CBO score. And every time it said that this bill actually increases inflation rather than reducing yeah. But, yep, they blew right past that. Good to talk with you again, Ethan. Take care. You too, Mike. Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. As growers consider cover crop options, the Seed Innovation Protection Alliance would like to remind you that many small grains are protected by some intellectual property and are not allowed to be used for seed production. 
Talk to your authorized seed dealer for information on your cover crop seed options. The Seed Innovation Protection Alliance thanks growers for buying new, professionally produced seed from authorized seed companies and dealers. To report a seed infringement, call 1-844-SEED-TIP. Are you headed to the Farm Progress Show in Boone, Iowa this year? If so, stop by the Trelleborg Wheel Systems booth to see all the latest in tires. Also, Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live all three days there from the Trelleborg Wheel Systems booth. That's booth 928. Stop by to watch the show at 9 a.m. And that's in Trelleborg booth 928. We'll see you in Boone at the Farm Progress Show. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. As we look at the market trade so far this morning, we see the grain markets under some pressure, a little more follow-through selling going on. The wheat markets are moderating a bit, though, so we're seeing a, at least a little bit of a bright spot there. Soybeans, though, are mostly down double digits. That spot September contract is down pretty hard, while the corn market is relatively mixed here this morning. Private exporters did report a sale of 228,606 metric tons of soybeans to Mexico. Mexico this morning for the 22-23 marketing year. That could be a little bit of the weight here on the soybean complex. You throw in as well the Chinese demand concerns with their weaker economy numbers here yesterday. Also looking at some of the Taiwan risks with the U.S. and China and additional pressure coming from cooler temperatures in the Midwest along with good rains in some of the dry areas of the ag belt. That's all seemingly outweighing the national corn and soybean yield conditions going down a point each here in yesterday's crop progress report. So that's something to watch as well. It's kind of just this back and forth, and it looks like the Bears are out, out to, outpacing the Bulls here in the trade today. Let's look at some of the numbers. New crop December core, 10 to 3 quarters lower, 617 and a half. November beans, 18 to 3 quarters lower, 1393 and a half. Bean meal and bean oil are down moderately. Chicago wheat, September, one lower, 799 and three quarters. September Kansas City wheat, that's unchanged at 882 and three quarters. Spring wheat, September up three quarters at 911 and a half. Live cattle, August 147, higher 141.22. October up 172 at 145.52. Feeder cattle for August up 142 at 181.35. And in hogs, October lean hogs down 42 at 115. December down 32 at 90.52. Crude oil down 5 cents a barrel, 89.36. The Dow Jones up 78 points. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track, no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. 
information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. And welcome back. Mike Adams sitting in for the vacationing. Mike Pearson and one of the people I've always enjoyed talking with over the years joins us now. Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. How are you, my friend? I'm great, Mike, and thank you for having me. Good to talk to you again. Just like old times. Well, let's let's talk about Japan. Huge market for U.S. meat and has been a strong partner for some time. They're still recovering from uh, the uh, COVID situation. I know you've recently been there. What did you find? Yeah, Mike, uh, I was a bit surprised, actually. Um, I was there two weeks ago, and um, the, uh, the market is, uh, is, is strong, but they're still very much dealing with COVID-19. Um, the last emergency declaration was lifted in April, and uh, I was expecting more of a rebound. And quite frankly, when I got there, um, it, it, by the way, it was 100, over 100 degrees when I was there. Everyone's wearing a mask indoors and outdoors. So there's still very much a concern around COVID, even though a lot of the restrictions have been loosened. So I think it's going to take a little bit of time. Uh, that being said, uh, food service, there are certain sectors that are pretty active, the akiniku sector, the barbecue sector, the, that's the family-style dining barbecue sector, uh, is up 60% year-on-year, granted off of a very low base, but there's some signs of progress. So uh, I think the good news there is, is as that recovery continues, uh, hotel occupancy is up dramatically. So I, I think we're going to see more food service rebound later in the year, which is a good thing for our demand. I was going to ask you, what kind of a timeline do you see? I mean, is this a slow recovery, or do you see it starting to pick up some steam now? Well, I think you got to remember, um, in Japan, um, what's the main mode of transportation? It's trains, uh, especially in the urban areas. So that's where the, the crux of the concern on COVID lies, is with the, the trains being fairly uh, full. So I think over time that will subside and, and we'll get back to a new normal. So, yeah, I think I think the last half of this year, especially the fourth quarter and into next year, I think the food service, uh, we've deemed this phrase in other countries called revenge spending. I think there's a lot of pent-up demand at food service, and uh, we're seeing it already in that yakiniku sector. So I think it bodes well out front. But I was going to say, given all those headwinds, we're still doing a lot of uh, business with Japan, sending a lot of meat there. We sure are. And we're starting to see it uh, in the statistics as well. June, June for beef was up 12 percent. Uh, for pork, we were, we, were up, we were down just slightly, uh, but we've been down 10 and 15 percent on pork earlier in the year. So I, I think uh, I think there's going to this is still a country very dependent on imports. Uh, very uh, dependent upon our quality of imports. So, uh, yeah, I, I think Japan and Korea, for that matter, Korea is a similar situation uh, where where the hotel occupancy is booming, and we're starting to see food service come to life there as well. We're talking with Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. All right, Dan, so demand seems to be strong. But do, do higher prices slow that demand, or are we seeing the demand so strong that uh, even with higher prices, it's going to stay strong? Well, I think the old adage is what cures high prices is high prices. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so far, 
so far, even with the higher pricing, uh, demand has been pretty resilient. So um, it's a little hard to tell. I keep predicting that at some point it's got to slow down a little bit, but we certainly haven't really seen it. Um, you know, the other thing to keep in mind is another thing that hasn't changed since the last time we talked is um, we still are facing supply chain challenges, um, maybe not as bad as it was. I think the worst might be behind us, but still, um, you know, higher freight rates, freight rates have stabilized, but at a higher rate, and uh, still some of the schedules are not that reliable. So, you know, with all that in front of us, uh, demand is still good, still strong. Um, so hopefully we can continue this run. And, uh, you know, I, I sure at some point the higher prices may slow it down a bit. But uh, on the other hand, these countries need to import, especially in Asia, Japan, Korea, very dependent upon imports. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But I think we're well positioned. Inflation's a huge issue here. Is it in these other countries, these other key markets as well? Well, uh, there is an inflationary impact, but I would argue in, in some countries like Japan, inflation is not as impactful, um, or at least it hasn't, hasn't been yet. But, uh, but no doubt in some of the Latin American countries with uh, not, maybe not quite as much spending power, it's a real concern. And uh, uh, we haven't talked much about Latin America here this morning, but Mexico and Central and South America have been on a roll, especially for pork. Uh, so I, I really, when you look at some of these markets and some of the emerging regions like the Vietnam and, and, and Africa and places like this, you got to think that uh, they're especially susceptible to maybe a slowdown because of inflation. What's been the biggest surprise here in 2022, good or bad? Uh, something maybe you didn't expect or didn't see coming? Well, I think the uh, the big surprise on the positive side has been uh, – the resiliency of food service and the hotel business in Latin America. Uh, it's absolutely booming and uh, way quicker than I thought it would. So uh, that's been a good thing. Uh, the, the business is through the roof. We're up almost 20% on pork exports to Mexico, for example. Um, so I think that's a good thing. And I think on the negative side, I'm a bit surprised about how long it's taken uh, Japan and Korea in particular to rebound from COVID. But it's not all negative because the retail is still booming in those markets. So it's kind of a mixed bag there. But in general, in general, I think demand for our products is, uh, is uh, surprisingly strong given all the headwinds. Are you able to get back to your on-ground um, promotion work and market development work that was uh, stopped or slowed down during COVID? We, we are almost everywhere in the world. Uh, we have been for quite a while in, in most of the regions. Uh, the, uh, the one exception would be China. Um, that is very much on and off. We're, we're struggling there. Uh, China is still very much dealing with a zero COVID policy versus the rest of the world has kind of adopted a living with COVID policy. So um, the ability to do just an ordinary retail promotion in, uh, in China really depends on the province and their particular rules at that time, and, it, and it's been all over the board. So we've done a lot of canceling, a lot of, uh, of uh, planning and moving things around in China. So it's been, it's been a challenge to say the least. Now, uh, the flip side of that is that the beef business continues to do well there. So uh, it kind of makes me wonder if we, were, if we didn't have COVID, just how good would demand be on beef? But uh, that's, that's a 
probably a discussion for another day. I always ask you this, uh, back in the day, uh, we always talked about this, but what's a key emerging market that we should keep an eye on? Well, I think you've got several. Um, one that really <clears throat> catches my eye today, which is not an emerging market for pork, uh, that's Colombia, which is booming. But we're now starting to see dramatic growth on beef into Colombia as well. So that would be one. Uh, I think another uh, region of the world that we always have to keep an eye on is um, is uh, Central America. That's another one that seems to be doing, has been doing well, and of course. Uh, my, my more futuristic one, of course, is Africa. So I think those are some regions of the world that we'll be talking a lot more about in the future. What we, we hear very little these days for, from this administration about free trade agreements. Don't hear a whole lot about uh, trade agreements at all. But uh, what are your thoughts on the need of more free trade agreements, uh, you know, a new version of, of old things that were worked on TPP or something with the EU or something with the uh, Britain. What's, what's the landscape out there and what's, what do you see as the need for those things? Well, I think the need is, is real. Um, our competitors are not standing still. Um, they continue to be aggressive in this area. Um, but that being said, uh, the administration is, is doing a few things. Um, they're not free trade agreements, but they are looking at some economic frameworks. The Indo-Pacific region in particular stands out, which, you know, these sorts of things I think are positive. You know, a full-blown FTA would be more exciting, but, uh, but the economic framework, uh, you know, concept uh, is good as well because uh, we need to forge closer relations with some of these uh, developing regions and the, uh, the Indonesia area, Vietnam, et cetera, through that Southeast Asian corridor would be one. So, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say nothing's happening, but, but granted, uh, we would be more excited if it was happening a little quicker. But to answer your original question, the ability to forge uh, deeper relationships on trade would, would be a welcome, uh, not only for the beef, pork, and lamb industries, but for all of agriculture. But overall, the outlook is still looks like strong demand. Very strong demand. Uh, outlook is um, we're still very optimistic for the rest of the year. Uh, uh, we're on pace. We're on pace for averaging a billion dollars a month on exports of beef. So that by far will be a new record for the year. And 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 pork started out a bit slow because of China, but pork's looking pretty good for the second half of the year as well. And Part of that is a, is a slight rebound in China, but but also a rebound in Asia, as we just were talking about with China. I'm sorry, with Japan and Korea, uh, the last half of the year. So yeah, overall, uh, despite all the uh, headwinds, uh, still pretty optimistic going forward. Well, Dan, it's good to talk with you again, and good to hear that uh, the business is still strong around the world, and uh, you're working to make it even stronger moving forward. Take care. Keep that John Harris guy in line, okay? We'll try. Thanks, John. <laughs> All right. Take care, Dan. Dan Holstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Up next, what's going on with sunflowers? We'll get an update from the Executive Director of the National Sunflower Association. That's coming up next, right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. 
Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We win. We, 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 we are the foundation fighting blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Corey Parsons. He's an animal nutritionist at CHS, and he's here to share tips for early calf weaning. Corey, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. With many ranchers experiencing drought, why can early weaning be an important herd and pasture management tool? That's a great question, Mike. Around the country, a lot of this area that, we're, that we serve right now, we experience that considerable amount of drought. And time of weaning can have impacts on both the cow and calf performance, as well as health and productivity of the pasture and rangelands. A few of the benefits of early weaning that I like to talk about are improved cow body condition. And uh, by early weaning calves, we reduce the nutrient requirements for lactation from that cow, thus reducing nutrient needs by as much as 30 to 50%. Those nutrients can then be used for improving her nutrient reserves and body condition going into the fall winter and pre-calving season. Also, we like to talk about the improved calf performance. Most times during the drought, the forage quality is low, forage availability is low, and is not conducive to adequate calf body weight gain. By early weaning these calves, we can provide high quality, nutrient-dense feedstuffs to these calves to better help them meet their genetic potential for growth, as well as help them remain healthy. And then also implementing an early enough weaning, pre-weaning program, we can help improve conception rates in our cattle. And then finally, the one I like to talk about is improved forage availability for the cow through forage conserved by not being consumed by the calf, thus allowing the ranchers to keep the cattle on pasture and rangelands longer. We've been talking with Corey Parsons, animal nutritionist with CHS. Corey, thanks for joining us here. Thank you, sir. You have a great day. And folks, thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. 
The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. And again, this is Mike Adams sitting in for the vacationing Mike Pearson this week. Joined now by John Sandbach, an executive director of the National Sunflower Association. John, welcome to AOA. Uh, it's the time of year. I know a lot of corn and soybean growers trying to, you know, get an estimate or try to figure out uh, just uh, what kind of crop they have out there. We're getting close to harvest time. Government figures aren't uh, always, uh, you know, they kind of leave us guessing even more than we we were going into the report. So is that the case on sunflowers too? Or are you trying to get a handle on the crop this year? Well, you know, right now, Mike, our crop is looking really good. I mean, when you look at the USDA ratings, you know, we're at that 80 to 85% good to excellent. So we're in really good shape right now. Um, you know, did get a later start this year. Uh, but, you know, with the heat units that we've been getting here in the last few weeks, the crop is really caught up. And, you know, we're only about a week behind. And, you know, yields right now, I'd say, we're looking at at least, you know, above average in, in most cases. So, you know, we're in pretty good shape. That's good news. I, I knew you got off to a slow start, so you've really made up some ground then. Well, you know, definitely. We've had a lot of heat here. And, and honestly, you know, with, with the weather conditions, you know, we, we've been really dry since the first part of July. And, and that really is stressed, I know, some crops. But, you know, for us, for sunflower, we're very drought tolerant and don't need a lot of moisture. And so, it just worked out to our advantage to really progress the crop. Okay, so you're looking at a good crop, and hopefully that that comes to fruition. Uh, sometimes that's uh, not so good on markets. So uh, what what about the, the impact of that prospect of a good crop having on your markets? Well, you know, we we started this market year. You know, our our 2021 crop was reduced. We had a little smaller production, you know, because of the extreme drought that we had here last year. I mean, it was so bad. Even sunflowers. It had a difficult time. And um, so we, our stocks came in really low when we began this market year. And so we had really good demand in the beginning. Well, after the Russian invasion of Ukraine, I mean, the demand just went off the charts as far as sunflower oil and, and even for confection seeds. So, you know, we, we really need a big crop this year to replenish, you know, supply because mm -hmm. that demand has not dropped off. And in fact, it continues to grow. Uh, our growers... Are you facing any unusual insect or disease problems this year? Well, you know, when we have drier conditions, we're a little bit more susceptible to, to red sunflower seed weevils. So we've been 
you know, getting the word out to growers to make sure that they're checking their crops, make sure they're spraying now. We're in the bloom period, and that's when it's the most attractive for these bugs. And that, that's probably one of our biggest issues. We have a little bit of moth pressure, uh, not as bad as it can be in some years. And so just, just making sure that the growers out there checking the crop. You know, in drier conditions, disease has not been an issue so far. But, you know, we, we might be looking at rust, and so that might be something also for growers to take a look at. Sunflower oil exports have been uh, strong, haven't they? You know, for the U.S., it's been really strong. I mean, you know, right now our top market is Canada. You know, they're right next door to us, great customer, and our numbers are we're up 40% where we were last year at this time. So excellent demand right now, and that doesn't look like that's going to back off either. And just the demand, you know, that's been created by the situation in Ukraine, I mean, we, we could easily double or triple, you know, the amount of exports that we'd have available, but there's only so much oil that's going to be available till at least till new crop harvest. We're talking with John Sandbachen, Executive Director of the National Sunflower Association. So we're, we hear that a um, good crop is coming, good sunflower crop. When when will harvest get started, John? You know, with us being a little bit later, you know, normally we do see some crop harvest at the end of September. But, uh, you know, here here in the northern plains, we're going to probably not see it until about October, maybe the middle of October. You know, just because there's other crops in front of us that, that are going to be harvested probably, you know, a little bit later. And so it'll push our harvest back. The harvest is moving along in Texas, um, all in that area, especially in, in central Texas. And so that right now has been about average. You know, they've had some really dry conditions too, but still, you know, a decent yield. Are your acres up this year? Nationally, we're up about 30% in the United States. And, you know, USDA resurveyed the Dakotas and Minnesota on some crops and we were one of those and we did not see any change in our acreage. We, we held steady from what they had projected in June um, and I think they just a sign of the strong market demand and, and folks wanting to get every acre planted they could. Do you see growth in acres for sunflowers uh, moving forward? Well you know when you look at oil consumption here in the U.S. our consumption has increased 50 percent in the last five years. So definitely, I, I think that the market is in a position now to be able to get that, that steady amount of profitability to, to growers, and it's something that we're going to continue to see increased acres because, you know, the demand is out there for the crop, and especially with renewable diesel coming on, you know, we're not going to probably be a factor in that part of the market. However, some of that oil that will be pulled into renewable diesel will have to be replaced on the food side, and that's where we come in. That's interesting. So for... For every re, for every action, there's a reaction. So you you move in and can fill into that slot. So you're seeing good growth in in demand, then both domestically and internationally. Definitely, sunflower oil has has had really you know even globally, increase every year has been about seven percent increase so far. Um, it just it's a healthy oil. It's something that you know when people as they get more and more income, they want to diversify into healthier products. And that's just been just a really positive trend for us. Do you find more people wanting to grow soybean? Uh, I keep saying soybean, soy sunflowers. You know, I, I think when when someone is looking at diversifying their rotation, you know, getting different crops in the mix, you know, sunflowers fits in very well. And especially with with younger producers, one thing I noticed with a lot of the expanded acreage you've got this year, it's guys who maybe their grandpa grew sunflowers or their dad, and they, they've not done it themselves. But the younger guys, very eager to get into sunflowers because they, they understand the profitability. And they're, 
if, if they're harvesting in you know later part of the year, to them that that's all part of the business, and they're they're looking yeah. for you know something different. Well, it's interesting. I I don't have a lot of background with sunflowers, so I always find it interesting to learn about a crop and uh, hear about your issues and your opportunities. And sounds like a good crop for you and some good demand. So hope it all comes uh, to fruition this year. Wish everyone a good, safe harvest. John, good to talk with you. Thanks for the update. Good to talk to you too, all, Mike. Thank you. Take take care, John Sandbach, an executive director of the National Sunflower Association. Sounds like a good crop uh, they're about to harvest. All right. That's going to wrap it up for today. I'll be back tomorrow sitting in for Mike Pearson. Hope you'll join us as well. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.